So about uh, six, six or seven or eight years ago, I had to go to this uh, fundraiser. It was this big kind of gala, gala uh, dinner. It was uh, right around now. It was kind of a Christmas-themed fundraiser. And um, the reason I went to it was uh, one of the people being honored was very, uh, very generous to the outreach office down at St. Mary's. Just was uh, helped out in a, in a bunch of different ways. Financially, used to organize, um, help out with the Thanksgiving drive and the toy drive at Christmas. And he was being honored. So uh, kind of figured, you know, I, I got to go to this. We got, a, we got an ad for the journal. I didn't really feel like going to it, but, you know, I kind of had to. It was just sort of one of those things you got to do was command performance. Anyway, uh, this was the plan. I was going to go to the cocktail hour. They asked me if I would do the opening kind of grace, the opening prayer. So I was going to go to the cocktail party, say the grace, and then do like a little Irish exit. I was going to kind of cut out, hopefully nobody noticing me disappear. Anyway, I get there, and I check out the program, and it's got me doing the prayer after dinner. There was like a close, there was a before meals prayer and an after meals, and I'm doing the, the after dinner. I'm like, come on. So that means I got to now stick around. The rabbi, the rabbi was doing the opening prayer, so I was like trying to find him to see if we could swap prayers. Uh, but he wasn't having it. He was looking to bolt as well. So I was really kind of like furious, like this is a disaster. Now I thought I was going to be here for an hour, now it's going to be like three hours probably. It just got worse. Like I didn't know anybody. I didn't know one person in this place. And uh, the cocktail hour was way more than an hour. It was closer to two, at least an hour and a half. I get to my table finally, and there's, you know, it was probably nine other people at this table. Nobody knew anybody at the table. Complete strangers. Nobody's even trying. Nobody's even trying to engage each other. You know, you go to a wedding and, you know, you're at a table with other people, you know, you introduce yourself, you do a little small talk. There was like crickets. There was like none of that. Nobody was even making any effort. So it was really awkward, and I'm, like, I'm not good with that stuff. I'm definitely way more on the introverted side. Some people are great, right? They're great with making conversation, and I'm not. Um, but nobody seemed to be at this table. I'm just thinking, this is going to be like root canal sitting at this table. So the silence was painful. So, so I don't know where, where this came from, but I, and it, it, nobody's talking, so I go, uh, okay, I have a question for everybody. So they all kind of look up at me like, what? And I said, uh, so if you could have your favorite singer perform your favorite Christmas song in your living room, who and what would it be? Your favorite singer, your favorite song. And then I qualified it. I said, even if, if the person is no longer alive, we're going to bring him back to life for this. So, favorite singer, favorite song. 
I was kind of amazed at the response. They immediately, I could tell, they, they started thinking right away who and what. And they started talking. They started giving out their favorites. I mean, it's Christmas, right? Everybody loves Christmas songs. I think probably the most popular singer was, was Bing Crosby that was probably mentioned more than anybody. White Christmas. I think the Oh Holy Night, I think, was the, the most popular of the kind of religious songs. Andy Williams was mentioned. There was a younger uh, woman at the table. She mentioned uh, Mariah Carey. Barbara Streisand. The person, she was funny. She said, uh, Barbara Streisand, she said, I know she's Jewish, but she does a version of Silent Night that's better than anyone that has ever done it. Pavarotti. I'm not going to lie. I really, I kind of saved the day. I really did. It was like I kind of got these people talking. I was shocked. They really kind of loosened up, and it almost kind of became fun, this dinner. One of the people next to me was this older guy who I got talking to a little bit later. And he told me that he was a, he was a writer, a journalist of some kind. I forget who he wrote for. It was a magazine. But, he, but more specifically, he told me he, was a, he covered the, the, the music industry. He wrote about music, reviewed you know, albums and st- concerts. And I had mentioned in that question, favorite Christmas singer, I, I mentioned Perry Como, because it was uh, my house growing up, we had a, pu- a couple of Perry Como Christmas albums, and it's sort of like, that's my, that's my memory of Christmas. So I said, yeah, he'd be, he'd be probably the guy I'd like to sing uh, whatever the song, Oh Holy Night, I think is probably what I said too. Anyway, this guy starts to tell me about his work in the music industry, he told me he, he knew Barbara Streisand. So that was kind of interesting. I'm asking him about that and about her. Told me he knew Perry Como. He had met Frank Sinatra. Didn't really know him, but he had met him a couple of times. This was really kind of, became a pretty interesting conversation. At least I was interested in it. Asking about these famous people. I guess I, I must have given him my email address because uh, a day or two later, he, he emailed me, this guy. Uh, one was a, a concert. It was a YouTube video, and it was Frank Sinatra and Perry Como singing at the White House back in the 80s during the Reagan years. The president of Italy was visiting, so they invite, the White House invited Sinatra and Como to sing. So it was kind of this cool little 40-minute concert. And then he gave me this article, which was also interesting. It was about those two singers. And it kind of compared the two of them. And it began with this whole similarity thing. Like their lives, their careers kind of really paralleled each other. They had a lot of similarities. They were... They were both sons of Italian immigrants, both very humble beginnings, really had had almost nothing growing up. 
They were born three years apart. They died three years apart. Millions of records sold. Wild success. I mean, Sinatra was way more successful, but Perry Como was no slouch. He had a, a lot of records sold, years on TV. So they were alike in a lot of ways, but then this article shifts to how they weren't alike. And it talked about their personal lives. And they couldn't have been more different. Sinatra was married four times. Perry Como was married once for 65 years. Sinatra's private life was not very private. It was kind of public and tabloid, turbulent, kind of scandalous. There were always connections, they said, with him and the mob and a lot of kind of nasty stuff. Perry Como, like the opposite. He was like this total family guy, church guy, no scandal. He kept his, you know, his family. They were very private. He never wanted them connected to the public. He lived here on Long Island for years. He lived up on the North Shore. It's interesting. It was like you had these two guys who were very similar beginnings. Then they made very different choices. Very different priorities. I don't mean to beat up on Frank Sinatra. I mean, his music is forever. It's, who's greater than Sinatra? I mean, a hundred years from now, people will be listening to Frank Sinatra. So his music is just beyond kind of question. But the man, at least compared to Perry Como, like, big difference. They both died, they were in their 80s. I was thinking about this, when they both died and they met God. There's just no way God cared about record sales or the movies or the concerts. Like, there's just no way God cares about that stuff. Don't you think God cared about how they raised their kids, how they treated their wives, how they were to people? I mean, isn't that really what matters to God? We get caught up in the record sales and the movies and the concerts. I'm sitting there listening, talking to this guy at this dinner, asking him all these questions about stuff that's interesting, but in the big picture, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. It's like, what matters most? That's kind of the question. That's kind of what Advent, I think, is about. It's like, wake-up call. What matters most? What should matter most? And then to look at our lives and say, what matters most in my life, does that, is it the same as what matters most to God? Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, we hear a lot of him in, uh, now during Advent. John the Baptist, we'll hear from him too, New Testament prophet. They're both kind of saying the same thing. It's like, wake up, get your act together. Take a look at how you live in your life. 
and make it right. Whatever's not right, make it right. And this Advent thing is kind of a gift because we've got like these four weeks to kind of just like drive the point home and be reminded. What's not right? In what ways are my priorities a little out of whack? He uses the image of a mountain, Isaiah does. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the highest mountain, God's holy mountain. That's where God is. He's on this particular mountain, says Isaiah, and it's the highest. And what he's saying to us is, we need to find that mountain and we need to climb that one. That's where we need to be focused on, God's mountain. And there's lots of mountains, and a lot of them are good. And a lot of them are important, but none are more important than God's. God's always got to be number one. Hey, one more time. There's lots of mountains. Our job, hey, that's a mountain. Figuring out my career and paying the bills and making a life for ourselves. That's a legitimate mountain. And we should climb that. Friendships, absolutely. Man, family, of course. How we raise our kids, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our parents. They are all super important mountains. But the highest is God. That's what he's ultimately saying. God orders everything. Sort of like like a compass. Man, when God is the compass, we don't really get lost. We don't really screw up so much when we are focused on God. The reality is, we don't always focus on God. So we do screw up. We stop looking at the compass. We create our own. We pursue other things that don't really matter. Hey, that was kind of the difference between Sinatra and Como in terms of their personal lives. One guy knew what mattered most. And the other guy made other stuff more important than it was. So I think Advent is like this. It's like, man, I got to take a look at the compass. Am I pursuing the right mountain? Am I climbing the highest one? We got to we got to do like we got to multitask. But in a way we don't. Like if I climb, if I make God number one, then that means I'm going to be the best with my family. I'm going to be the best at work. I'm going to be the best friend. I'm going to be the best version of myself if I am climbing God's mountain. Because I'll be closest to what God wanted of each of us. So everybody we encounter will get the best version of us if God is number one. But when we make those other things number one over God, even the good things, like our kids, our family, our career, they're good things. But if you make them most, eventually there's going to be a conflict. Eventually it's going to be like, no, wait a minute. I know I got my kid and I got my kids, but like, I think what God wants in this moment is going to be different than what I'm, my instinct here is. I got to go with God because it's the truth. And it'll benefit those kids at the end of the day. 
You know, there's a guy, there's this priest, his name is um, Father Mike Schmitz. And he's really good. He's an online guy. He um, does a lot of evangelization. He's a great speaker, great videos and homilies. He was talking about Advent. I watched this video the other day. And, you know, Advent, we always talk about preparation. What are we? We're preparing for Christmas, right? These four weeks, each week we like. Oh, man, we forgot to light the candle. I just realized we didn't even light the... One of those candles should be lit. My fault. Sorry. Anyway, we're supposed to be lighting candles, and we do this, all this, this preparation stuff. And we're preparing for Christmas, right? But that's not the only thing we're supposed to be preparing for. Like, Christmas, we know it's coming in a month. But you know what's also coming? The second coming. He came the first time, Christmas. When is he going to come again? We're going to see God again when our life comes to an end. And I think Advent is also about like waking up about that. Like, are things in order? Are things the way they should be? Because you don't know. Jesus uses this image of a thief. A thief breaking into your house. You don't know when he's coming. So you lock the doors. You be prepared. Have it all. Have your act together. Because you don't know when our life is going to end. This guy, Father Mike, said, how about, imagine this. Imagine if you somehow were told that you're going to die in a month. Like, this Christmas is going to be the last, your last day. It's kind of morbid, but go with it for a minute. This is the last, you'll have a month. Christmas is a month from today. You got one month to live. Man, how would you approach this Advent? Man, like no other, right? How would we prepare? What would we need to address if I had a month? What would I need to repair? What needs to be fixed? What's broken in my life? What's not the way it should be? What needs to be made right? Advent is about like, yeah, like let's try to look at those things. And yeah, hey, we're not dying in a month. So, you know, we're not going to live with that level of intensity. But we're supposed to try. I used to live out in, uh, out in Huntington for a couple of years, about 20 years ago, St. Pat's in Huntington. There was a guy in the parish, great guy. He was, uh, I knew him from church. And he was uh, probably at the time, he was about 45 maybe. He had a couple of kids. Awesome guy, great family man, very successful guy. He had a very good job. He was an engineer, but he kind of did like corporate work in this engineering firm. And there was a, a, another guy in the parish that, you know, kind of a mutual friend thing. And I was talking to this other guy one day, and he told me that the engineer had been offered this job, like a crazy job, an amazing opportunity different company, huge promotion, huge increase in pay, kind of like life-changing in a way. I didn't understand the work, but this guy was kind of explaining it to me. But it was going to require a move, like an out-of-state move. <clears throat> and they had a I think like a 12-year-old or an 11-year-old at the time who was going through a tough time. Just uh, socially, 
struggling making friends and kind of anxiety issues. So the kid was having a tough time and the prospect of moving, period, let alone moving in the middle of a year was like unimaginable. And the mother and father knew it. So he didn't take the job because he just wasn't going to risk, they weren't going to risk that. So he walked away from this like kind of not to be believed opportunity because he just climbed different mountains. The family mountain was higher than the work mountain and the work mountain was pretty high. This guy was no slouch either. But the family one was just higher for him. And knowing this guy, higher than that mountain was the God mountain. That, I think, is what this father and husband was most committed to. And everything else just fell into place because of it. You know, it's like when you're driving in the car, you're upstate or something, and you're up in the country, and beautiful scenery on the parkway, and there's a scenic overlook you can pull off and you, know, you can just get out of the car and there's crazy scenery and the mountains in the distance lots of mountains God's is the highest so this advent climate 